Welcome, it's indisputable, I'm your host, Rashad Richard. We have a lot on the agenda today, breaking down news of the day. My contributor, Ben Carollo, host of Galaxy Brain, and she streams on Twitch as Bleep Blop Ben. Writer and TYT contributor, should be a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day, Kanye West identifies with straight white men, wants to become one in his future, and has dared Adidas to disrupt their partnership, even though he is in fact anti-Semitic in his statements. He has dared them. Let me go to the video, here it is. Uh, they'll say you're ho- you're homophobic. And so I empathize with the position of the straight white male. And part of the reason why I empathize with that position is because I know that I'm headed to that position. Oh and what position that is, that is? Top power position. Oh my God. Okay, so Kanye, as I said, is doing all of this by design. Now remember, when I first started reporting on Kanye, many people pushed back on my narrative, said that Kanye needed psychological help. Well, that may be true on some level, but there is a design behind his strategy and his design is connected to his personal economy. Remember when I said that Kanye West is going out of his way not to offend Trump supporters and not to offend bigoted white people. He's going out of his way to make sure he does not offend those particular groups. And it just so happens that's the group who now empowers him financially. They buy his gospel albums. They purchase his clothing line, they come to his concerts, they pay for his speaking engagements, etc. So what has Kanye said, let's analyze the statement. He now connects with white men and he's careful not to offend straight white men because he is seeking to become powerful like straight white men. Here's one of the major problems with that statement. He believes that in order to obtain, I guess, power or equality or equity, that he must identify on some level with a white man. You see, that was the sentiment decades ago, that in order to be equal, you must be like white people. In order to have equity, you must be like a white man. You must eat where white people eat. You must stay in hotels where white people stay. According to Kanye, this is his only route to power. Now, he has identified himself and his movement with that of the white male dominated power structure. And there are people in life, ladies and gentlemen, who would do one of two things. They will either try to figure out how to disrupt these power structures that are adversarial to the common growth and progression of most people in a particular country. Or they will figure out, people will try to figure out how to fit inside of it. What has Kanye done? He has chosen to simply find his fit inside of this oppressive hierarchy. There's more. He also dared Adidas to do something about the fact that he, in fact, makes anti Semitic statements on the record. Here it is. The thing about it, me and Adidas, is like, I could literally say anti Semitic. And they can't drop me. I can say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? That's something for Kanye to brag about in his small world. What has he admitted to? Kanye has admitted that he does actually say anti-Semitic things. You could no longer say, "Oh, what Kanye said is not anti-Semitic. He was simply trying to do A, B, and C. No, Kanye has said on the record, He says anti-Semitic statements, he is in fact anti-Semitic. Now remember, there are people who will say, well, we support Kanye. We think there's truth in what he's saying. Let me remind you, if Kanye would have called for death or death con three on all black people or black women, there will be a problem obviously. But instead, he called for this against Jewish people and there's debate. I don't know why, hate is hate, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot become the same evil you seek to destroy. 
You will not be able to drive out hate with hate. You will not be able to drive out darkness with darkness. It will only happen with light, exposure, transparency. What he's doing is dangerous. What he's doing is engaging in a game that has detrimental consequences at the end of it. Look at what has already happened. Some of the pictures, cause and effect relationship. Let's go to it. On Saturday, the head of an anti-Semitic and white supremacist group and his supporters dropped banners over the 405 in Los Angeles. One banner read, Kanye is right about the Jews. Kanye West is leading the White Lives Matter movement, which is connected to white supremacy at the highest levels. The group responsible appears to be with the GOYIM Defense League, a loose network of anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists according to the Anti-Defamation League. Do you see that picture? What are they doing? Look at their hands. Those are the people that Kanye wishes to inspire. Those are the individuals I wish to come against, to fight, and to make sure their ideology is no more. That's what I choose to do. The group also allegedly is responsible for flyers like this. All over the Brentwood community, these were found in mailboxes on Sunday, everywhere. Cause and effect relationship. There was another flyer. This was left on cars last week at the Grove. Look at that. And for anybody who is from my community, from the black community, and you support Kanye, I want to remind you of what he thinks about black people. Here it is. He says white lives matter. That's what he thinks about black folk. When you have a campaign to bring attention to the reality of black suffering in America, he says no, white lives matter. Not black lives, white lives. And he takes a picture, does a photo op with the number one black white supremacist in the United States of America, Candace Owens. Once again, Kanye West going out of his way to make sure he does not offend racist white people, to make sure he does not offend Trump supporters, but he's willing to offend every other demographic, including his own community where he comes from, sellout is what he is. Adidas, where you at Adidas? Let's go to it. Meanwhile, Kanye West has been attacking so-called cancel culture. The idea that if people don't like something, they voice their opinions against it. Leading a company to stop operating a certain way or fire someone. The same tactic was once called boycotting. Where if someone doesn't like something, they simply don't buy it. Now remember the ideology of let's stop castle culture is ridiculous. First of all, if you make statements that are contrary to the sentiment of those who consume a product, then there's a problem in your corporate enterprise. There's no debate about that. I wonder if Kanye would call the bus boycotts led by many civil rights leaders. Decades ago, would he call that cancel culture? Or maybe the very common sense lessons we all teach our children and those we mentor. We let them know there's consequence to your behavior. There's consequence for your words. But all of a sudden, people like Kanye and conservatives, they wanna live in a world where there's no consequence for what you say. There's no consequence for who you offend. There's no consequence for your own behavior. It doesn't make sense. This does not add up, this is not the human experience. The reality is in a societal construct, there is, there is always a response to what you do. The founders of the company Adidas, a German family named the Dusslers, are tied to the Nazi party starting in the 1930s. The brothers joined and then ensured that all Nazis had footwear through the war. This history has been known about the company Adidas. And I cannot help but to wonder, did Kanye feel empowered to dare Adidas to drop him 
because Kanye and Adidas, they have an understanding. Ben, thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, really, there's so many layers to this. I mean, first and foremost, this is one of those things that unfortunately happens with a lot of like right wing grifters from different marginalized communities who they take in all the assumptions, the core beliefs of white supremacy, they internalize it. And then within that framework, they view themselves and they view different marginalized people as competing for space and attention of white supremacist systems. And so that's why you can have members of one marginalized community that go after another. It's why you can have queer folks that are racist. It's why you can have black folks that are against the queer community or saying anti-Semitic things, right? It's, it's people who are in marginalized communities, but adopt the premise of white supremacy and then simply compete for space within that framework. But then there's another layer to this, which is like the whole conspiratorial thinking that is within this. The unfortunate reality is, is that like first and foremost, mental illness is something that is a morally neutral thing, right? It's not inherently good or bad. It's something that a lot of people struggle with, but it also doesn't excuse bad behavior. And unfortunately, this type of conspiratorial thinking, right, and combined with a ridiculous amount of money and powerful institutions and different like media organizations that are trying to create spectacle, can sort of create this sycophantic environment around people. And push these incredibly harmful things. And when you look at the types of conspiracy theories that Kanye West is pushing, unfortunately, it's exactly the same type of thing that like people like Tucker Carlson are pushing. It is quite literally this anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that goes all the way back to 1930s Germany. And it all ties in together. It quite literally ties all of these things together because like let's get let's be very, very clear. These people are so disconnected from reality. They think there is a secret group of Jewish people that is turning people gay and trying to replace white people with black and brown folks. It is obviously ridiculous on its face. But the unfortunate reality is, is even with the companies that like to wave rainbow flags because they wanna tap into those markets, those consumer markets, a lot of the leadership within those giant corporations are cisgender white men who very often have fully adopted these core beliefs. I mean, think about it, sundown towns reached their peak after the first Star Wars movie came out. And so if we think about that, that those people are very much alive today, right? The reality is, the reality is, is that we can't pretend that white supremacy is just some historical artifact of the United States. The people who were literally harassing black folks that were trying to move into neighborhoods in Los Angeles back in the 70s and 80s, right? And to be honest, it still happens to this very day, right? Those people are very much alive and unfortunately are in many institutions of power. Very well said, and I want to remind everyone because I know there will be pushback when we put this segment out on social media. I've read many comments before with similar stories. Comments that say things like, well, Jewish people, they're not helping black people. The reality is there are Jewish people that help black people. There are some Jewish people who do not. My morality is not based or predicated on what somebody else will do. My morality is based on what I will do, period. All right, we're gonna continue to follow this story. I know some people don't want to, but we will. All right, a couple, they find a Negroes for sale sign. Let's put it up. Imagine you're walking in your community during your morning walk and you see great sale of Negroes. November 11, 1855, a black Houston couple was interrupted by this sign, this flyer nailed to a tree. Okay, unearth listed one buck and two winches with given names, ages, and described as excellent cooks or servants. In the historically black community of Sunnyside located in Southern Houston, Texas, Lante and Nakiba Phillips, who routinely walk laps around the park were stopped in their tracks last Thursday by this slave for sales, a flyer nailed to the tree, the Phillips, found the flyer deeply disturbing. Quote, I was floored actually. I did see that it was dated 1855. So it seems someone definitely did their history. 
Nikiba said to click to Houston. Oh My God, will the tree be on fire tomorrow? Like what's next? The couple reported the flyer to the park worker who removed it from the tree. However, the perpetrator is still out there, maybe even hanging more flyers. Here's a brief history of the Sunnyside community. Thousands of enslaved black people resided in that region before the Civil War. In 1912, H.H. Holmes plotted the land and founded the community where black people began to settle. Yet after surviving decades of racist violence and annexation, someone thought it clever to remind the black residents where they came from. Leaders in the community are standing up. Let's put up the first one. Travis McGee, a civic leader with Sunnyside. They are now raising their voices. They have a message for the alleged hate crime. McGee said, and I quote, we want them to know that those days been over. And this is not a plantation. This is our home. This is our community. That's how we treat it and that's how they're going to treat it. Tracy Stevens, president of the Sunnyside Civic Club, provided details on past surveillance budgeting for the park. Stevens said, and I quote, back in April this year, we had a contractor come out and inspect the whole park area to put up surveillance cameras and give city council members the price and stuff. In a quick Houston interview, council member Dr. Carolyn Evans Shabazz said it's appalling what happened, but there are 300 and 82 parks in the city. And installing cameras is not easy as it sounds. Stating is not in the budget to maintain and monitor them. The police are still actively looking for who did this. Okay, so let me submit this to the council. You say you cannot afford it. I say you cannot afford not to do it. You know why? Because the vulnerability of your lack of security protocol has now been exploited and it is known. Everyone who would like to do things like this and damage your community, create heartache, pain, disruption, they can do it. And they'll say, you know what? There are no cameras there. Nobody's going to hold us accountable. All we have to do is make sure no one sees us during that time. This is a security protocol. It's in the budget, you can do it. What you lack, councilwoman, is the will, the political volition to simply get it done. What will it take? Will it take something happening that no one can just revoke or take down from a tree? What will it take before you realize that these are the warning signs before something else happens typically in communities like yours. I encourage the leaders to continue to press their city council. The money is not their money, it's yours. The community wants surveillance in that area and they should have it. Ben, thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, there's like two big layers to this. First and foremost, one of the things that police officers did during Black Lives Matter protests was they tried to get a warrant for everybody that it was in a particular area during a particular period of time from like cell phone companies and like other big data companies that would be able to say, hey, these are all the people that were here during this time frame. It's funny how they don't think of that for this type of situation where there's gonna be far less people that were specifically right there within a time frame between the last time somebody saw the post without that sign and the last time somebody saw it with it, right? Like so like let's be clear, the technology exists even without setting up cameras and it's already there, some of the police departments across the country have already used. On top of that though, like this is a big part of these white supremacists today who are actively trying to create an environment of terror. And the reason why they do this is because they know that they're unpopular. They know that everybody hates them. And so they use terror and fear in order to try and suppress like political opposition. They quite literally want people to be afraid to speak out against them. And the unfortunate reality is, is that 
the Democrats have spent too much time letting this happen. I mean, literally the reason why Roe v. Wade got overturned was because right wingers literally organized decades and decades of terror campaigns against Planned Parenthood, against any type of like, you know, doctor that spoke out about abortion rights, about any organization that spoke about abortion rights, right? And so unfortunately, right wingers in the United States today feel far more emboldened to do this to the point where even Tucker Carlson and they're thrown back to 1855 right with that flyer. But if you listen to the words of Tucker Carlson and you look on like social media, you will see a growing number of right wingers today actively comparing the United States today to Weimar Germany in a celebratory tone, in a positive tone. They see, right, they see different parallels and they're like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we followed the same path literally as Nazi Germany? And that's exactly what this is. It's about creating terror and it's about pushing this white supremacist mentality and really trying to get people to assume that things are only gonna get worse and to terrify people out of making sure that they get better. Agreed. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Let me remind everybody of a couple of things, all right? So one, we have the fundraiser continuing, Jelana Dunlap fundraising. Currently, we're at 1,945, we have a $3,000 goal. We can make that happen quickly. She was harassed and assaulted by the Fayetteville police in North Carolina. She was featured on the show, we did an exclusive, had the exclusive video and did the interview with her. But since then, since she went public, she has lost her job. And in her small community, it is difficult to get employment, even though clearly she did nothing illegal. She was not charged by the police, they were in the wrong. You can go to her GoFundMe page and make a contribution. I appreciate you in advance. I'm also Mississippi, let me talk about Mississippi. We are $10,000 away from our Mississippi water crisis fundraising goal. If everyone watching donated $5, we can reach our goal. As a matter of fact, I think we're way, way closer than that. But we're gonna make sure you get those updated numbers very soon, all right? And thank you for being such a powerful ally and making sure our brothers and sisters in Mississippi have clean drinking water. I wish a dragon would says Kanye West is right about is the beginning of a sentence that should not exist. Exactly. Um, Jess be anti-racist says Dr. Richard while Adidas has not severed their ties with Kanye, but Kanye's talent agency CAA creative artist agency has and that's correct. They did. All right. Uh, natural born Keeler says the monster he fed would turn his head. You're right, it's gonna eventually happen. I agree with you there. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I got something for you. I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on him for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're gonna feel right, back off. I'm gonna tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. You like being called a right? That's cause you act like a b-boy, all right? You act like a D-boy. I said to stay the away from me. I said it. Hey, hey, would you mind? I want to talk to you, all right? Shut the up. Shut the up. There's actually more. Here it is. Racism, the extreme verbal attacks, she decides to engage even more. Here it is. 
She's going viral. I'm going to get a restraining order against Sally Kim. You got She's a gun everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. She's got a gun. Could you talk to me? I'm talking crazy. Yeah. What am I saying? I'm speaking the truth, right? Right? She has a black vagina. Does that mean that she has a black vagina? She is a black vagina. Does that mean that she has a black vagina? I'm going to tell you the truth, Karen. Let's put up a picture for a mass here. You are a racist coward who engages in this kind of behavior because of your own insecurities and your failure to face the ugliness inside of you. In order to make yourself feel better, you have to make other people feel bad. That is because when you go home, when all of the talking stops, you have a hard time closing your eyes and being at peace with who you actually are. So shameful, this extreme racism took place on a New York City subway. I have to give credit to those who are on that subway. Nobody attacked her, nobody tried to physically assault her. Nobody got so angry that they're that this became an issue of combat, but the racism was extreme. Once again, we do something here at Indisputable. We make sure that there's a mirror, a societal mirror for reflection and hopefully correction at some point in your life. Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm gonna make an assumption. So I'm gonna make an assumption based off of her bag, which was deeply ironic because it said, don't worry, eat happy. And this mm-hmm. assumption is for a general teachable moment. My guess is she's the type of person that really loves toxic positivity, where she likes everybody to pretend to always be happy around her and not have any conflict because Right, A lot of these people who have racist ideas in their head, they don't want those ideas ever to be challenged. Because it's much easier if everybody just shuts up and doesn't say anything about any conflict ever. And anytime any type of conflict comes up, anytime anybody says, hey, no matter how polite it is, hey, you're being a little bit racist here, maybe check your behavior for a second, they lash out. And I'm gonna make the assumption that she lashes out in instances like that based off of this situation on the train. I obviously don't know the context of why she was lashing out, but I don't think you really need a reason to lash out in such an extreme racist way. Right. But so this is a teachable moment. Somebody calling you racist is not like, like it's, it's not the end of the world. What it should be is a moment for you to take a step back and reflect on yourself, to maybe question yourself to be a better person. That is what it is, because the don't worry, eat happy, maybe take a second and realize that you are negatively impacting other people's lives and other people's ability to not worry and to be happy. Well said. All right, I got something for you. Double dose. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. You guys are nuts. Go get some more fake lashes, you dirty bitch. You're not a natural bitch. You're ugly. Yo, yo, keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going for Yeah, have a good night. Have a good night. Have a good night. Have a good night. Later. Y'all say out of TikTok fast. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, racism. Let's put up the picture full mass here. Um, the irony of why she was upset, according to the poster of this particular clip. The irony of it. She, the Karen here, did not believe that Asians should be at a Popeye's at 3 a.m. This made her furious, she was upset about it. How dare they? Once again, 
When anyone tries to restrict your mobility, when they say you do not belong in certain places, that's the slave master mentality. They believe they can regulate where you go. They can demand things like your ID, that's akin to freedom papers, etc. So according to the person that posted this, she got upset simply because Asians were at Popeyes at 3 a.m. Ben, thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, first and foremost, I totally believe the the TikToker that that's saying this because, like, look, like these people don't need a reason to be racist, right? And so anything is small enough for them to like fly into like ridiculous rages about it. So if somebody says, "Oh, this is why they're upset," I like believe them a hundred percent, right? This is why somebody put it like because. It, there's no reason, right? There's never rhyme or reason. It's just racism at the core. Like the other part that I thought was really funny was like, this person's obviously there with their friends. You can hear a bunch of people laughing. And she's like, you have no life, you have no life. You're just sitting on TikTok. And it's like, I don't know, it seems like they have a life. And it seems like they probably have a, like a pretty decent TikTok account, you know, if this is blowing up like this. So like, I don't know, maybe do a little bit of self-reflection because it's just weird. Like, why are you getting in other people's business? Why are you trying to police people, right? You're really that racist that that is what you want to do with your free time. Just enjoy your Popeyes. I mean, come on, it looks like you got that lemonade. It's really amazing. Please just enjoy it and mind your own business. There you go. I mean, imagine being so racist that you can't eat at Popeyes without becoming a racist person against others. I mean, damn, it's 3 a.m. At some point you gotta get tired. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Let me read one of the comments on Press for Time. Mr. Booman says, she couldn't wait to explode with the racist tirade. That was held in for a long time. It seemed like it did or not, yeah. All right, a preacher, a pastor put up his face. He has been charged with trying to pray on a seven year old girl. Let's put this picture up full mass. You're looking at Kenneth Daniel, Alabama pastor of a Jefferson County church has now been arrested. 64 years of age, was arrested at the First Baptist Church where he serves as their senior preacher. He was charged with facilitating and solicitation of unlawful sexual conduct with a seven year old child. He was booked into the county jail on the felony charge. Let me give you the background. According to case documents, the alleged crimes took place between January 2020 and earlier this month. A seven year old victim told her grandfather that Daniel had been sexually abusing her. The girl reported that the preacher had touched her private parts numerous times at his residence, a pool party, and also at the church itself. The victim said the pool party was arranged by the preacher, Daniel, who requested the victim's granddaughter, grandfather bring her and other children to the party. The affidavit says, Daniel contacted the grandfather by phone for arrangements to bring the victim to locations where the abuse happened. The state is requesting the highest possible bond as it relates to Daniel. Blount County DA Pamela Casey said Daniel has family in Japan, which makes him a flight risk. The preacher has been ordered to surrender his passport. Daniel remains in the county jail as of Thursday, CBS 42 reached out to church officials for a statement and they have heard back from no one. We're gonna to continue to follow this story, let me tell you why. The church that this preacher is a part of, this church has some significant connections to the community, so does he. He has significant connections to those that work in the justice system for that county. Now, right, uh, right now, this is obviously an ongoing investigation process, but the testimony that already exists from at least one child is so compelling. And the details are so gruesome that they had to effect an arrest warrant immediately upon this preacher. 
And I highlight this story to remind everyone who has a child and who works with children. There are monsters in the world. There are monsters in the world. These monsters will come cloaked in a disguise. And that disguise is typically that of a good person, of a decent individual. Remember the psychological profile. These types of people seek positions of public trust in order for you as a parent, for you as a youth worker to lower your skepticism, to lower your caution and to allow them in. We've reported on these preachers many times on Indisputable. I do this as a reminder to everyone, check, observe, look for signs. You don't get another opportunity here. You don't get to take back whatever happened to that child, okay? Prayerfully she gets help, she gets counseling, she has protection. But what happened, happened according to the report. All right, being thoughts. Yeah, I mean, and like, there's so many layers to this. The first layer is if this person is 64 years old, he's probably been a preacher for a while. Yeah. And if he's been a preacher for a while, and he's like, uh, he said that he's the head preacher of the church, right? That might be indicative of probably a long history. This isn't something that just happens one time. And another layer to this is right now we're in the middle of this giant moral panic across the country where you have people that are trying to blame random marginalized people for like sexual assault and stuff like that. Especially right now it's targeted towards queer folks. But obviously in the United States, there's a long history of like blaming random black folks and things like that. But you need to understand that the same people that push those narratives are also the same types of people that commit acts of abuse like this. And the reason for it is very simple. They do not want you to be looking at the people that are actually in your proximity. They want you to be looking at people that are others. And the reality is, is that if there is a situation where a child is being sexually abused in one way or another, it's usually somebody that is a person of trust. It is usually somebody that is like a family member or a teacher or a you know, preacher, somebody that has some sort of tie to the family, right? Somebody that has some sort of trust or respect within the community. It's not usually some random out there person that's just coming from the middle of nowhere and like kidnapping people or whatever. And the unfortunate reality is people spend so much time pushing like racist, homophobic, transphobic narratives around crime in general that like marginalized people get like state violence targeted towards them from the police. When the reality is, is that you should really be more involved in keeping your community safe, keeping your circle safe and really scrutinizing the people that are interacting with your children on a daily basis. It's not gonna be some random person. It's gonna be somebody like a preacher. Yeah, and here's the thing, conservatives, they're saying, well, if there's a violation of a child, that child who has been abused must have the must birth a fetus if that happens. Which to me is another form of abuse by way of policy. All right, we're gonna to continue to follow this story. Nancy Pelosi, she says Donald Trump is not man enough. Here's a video. I have to ask you about the January 6th committee. On Friday, they officially subpoenaed Donald Trump. Do you think he'll actually appear for the deposition? And what does it say to the American people if he doesn't? I don't think he's man enough to show up. I mean, yeah, that's what Pelosi said. Now, this was an interesting dynamic because I believe it's part of her strategy, which may be effective. You have to challenge Donald Trump. You know, he doesn't like his manhood challenged. But there's another dynamic connected to the January 6th committee. I actually disagree with Liz Cheney on this. Here it is. Is the committee open to his supposed offer, or at least behind the scenes offer, of going on live television? So the committee. Uh treats this matter with great seriousness. And we are going to proceed in terms of the questioning of the former president under oath. Mm -hmm. It may take multiple days. 
and it will be done with uh, a level of rigor and discipline and seriousness that it deserves. We are not going to allow the former president. Not he's not going to turn this into a circus. This isn't going to be, you know, his first debate uh, against Joe Biden and the circus and the food fight that that became. This this is far too serious set of issues, and we've made clear. Uh, exactly what his obligations are, and and we're proceeding uh, with with that set out. Damn that, Liz! Put his ass on TV live. Let us all see it. Yes, it will be a clown show, and he will be the chief clown in that clown show. Understand his strategy. You already know what it is. Don't run away from it. Adjust, adapt, adopt new strategies yourself. Because I guarantee you, this. Um, Typical approach will not do what you think it will do. Remember the purpose, what's the real purpose behind getting him to testify under oath? Not to get the truth, you know good and damn well he will not give you that. But he will lie under oath. If he will only do this on TV, live streaming, whatever it may be, let him do it. Because you get your intended conclusion. Former president of the United States lies under oath. Well, there's a penalty for that, in addition to the other penalties already coming. All right, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi apparently tried to goad Donald Trump into testifying before the House January 6th committee with a challenging insult Sunday that he's not man enough to do so. She said, I don't think he's man enough to show up, Pelosi said on MSNBC's The Sunday Show. And if he fails to turn up, the public should judge him harshly for it, she said. No one is above the law, Pelosi noted. If we believe that, then they, Americans, should make a judgment about how he responds to that request. Uh, side note, Nancy Pelosi knows good and damn well there are people above the law, okay? That's just the reality. And they continue to say people are not. Well, the evidence shows contrary. There's more. If Trump blows off the testimony, he clearly thinks that he is above the law, she added. Trump was subpoenaed to testify by the committee last Friday and requires Trump to submit required evidence by November 4th and sit for a deposition on November 14th. As of Sunday, Trump had not publicly responded to the subpoena. His legal team said it would analyze and respond appropriately shortly to this unprecedented action. Never happened before, according to them. But Trump has told his aides. He might comply if, if he can testify on live TV, the New York Times reported earlier this month. His son, Eric Trump, happily envisioned such a scenario in a speech Friday at a right wing rally in Pennsylvania. Understand what he's doing, Nancy Pelosi, understand what he's doing, Liz Cheney. He's setting it up so that he wins the first battle. Because as soon as you say, oh, we're not gonna put him on live TV, he will say, "Oh, see, you see, they don't want all of the testimony. They don't want you to know the truth. So let's say you get him to testify under oath in some kind of quasi secret methodology. He says one thing to you, you report on what he says. He then comes to the public and says, no, 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 I said something else. Or no, 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 that was edited. No, it didn't happen that way, they're lying to you. He's done this routinely, put his ass on TV, let him testify. Let it be the clown show that it has to be because you're not going to get away from the clown show when you got him as your target. You're not going to avoid it, it's here. All right, my father finally got a subpoena from from the January 6th committee. This is Eric Trump, I told him you have to go testify. It will be the greatest entertainment. Who wants to pop a beer, make some popcorn and watch Donald Trump talk about election fraud in the United States of America? That's not going to happen. January 6th committee chair, Representative Liz Cheney bowed in the interview with me, the press. As I said, let him have at it. He will lie under oath, let it happen. All right, Ben, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, apparently my understanding of the legal system is lacking because I I never really thought subpoenas were an optional thing. I right. thought that if you didn't obey a subpoena that you would find yourself in jail. And this really is just a testament to the Democrats, I think broadly, where 
They have very serious words, but unserious actions. They will say, hey, we think Donald Trump did this terrible thing. And then Donald Trump will go out and say, yeah, I did this terrible thing. So what of it? I don't care. I, you know, I, of course I did this terrible thing. You know, since when is that illegal? Even if it very obviously is. And then the Democrats will be like, well, all these people are on Twitter saying that they don't care about what Donald Trump is doing. No, 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 no. You see, when you refuse to hold Donald Trump accountable, when you don't say, if you don't follow the subpoena, you are going to be put in jail. Right, then you put yourself in a situation where you look like the clown. Yeah. You make Donald Trump look innocent by actively not having him face real material consequences. So yeah, put him on TV. He's gonna lie. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna confess to things because he's bragging about it, but he's gotta face a consequence. Yep. That's the important part. That's it. He has to face consequence. Agreed 100%. All right. Imagine you're begging for help. The police, they decide to ignore you. That's exactly what happened to a man who died after pleading for help. Here's the video. Oh, one, eight. No. No. Right. You're right. No. Um. I can't breathe. Are you, you talking? You're breathing. I can't breathe. You're all right. Mister. I'm dead. You're not dead. Please. You're fine. Hey, man. Anybody got bigger than the Oh, I No. It's a damn shame, put up his picture. Let me give you some background as to what happened, okay? This was in Arkansas, the edited body cam footage shows a man who died while in police custody. That footage has finally been released. It reveals a man having a medical emergency and the cops ignored his pleas for help. Terrence Caffey was arrested after an altercation with employees at the movie Tavern in Little Rock on December 10th. Law enforcement officials said he died of sickle cell crisis during his arrest. However, his family and their legal team believe the officer's actions triggered that very medical emergency leading to his death. The deceased man's family and their attorney sent a letter to the US Department of Justice accusing the officers involved of racial prejudice. They also released a nearly two minute video with clips of the incident that they say the county sheriff's office left out of their 43 minutes of footage released last month. They accused the office of a cover up. Let me give you background to the arrest. The movie Tavern assistant manager called 911 to report an extremely violent guest who was fighting staff. The security guard is trying to accost him, the caller said. I feel like a gun has been drawn. I don't know who has it. I got bit, several of my employees were struck. Let's go to the sheriff's office. We got Captain Mark Swaggerty, worked as a security guard at the theater and was trying to pin Caffey to the floor. The assistant manager later acknowledged that he did not see the 30 year old black man with any weapons, but had heard gunshots across the street 
half an hour before the altercation. The hell does that have to do with what's happening at that moment? Nothing. Surveillance footage shows Kathy sitting on the ground in the hallway before throwing his cell phone and keys out of his wallet. Seconds later, he lunges at a theater employee. About four other people join the fight and try to hold back Kathy. They loosen him when Swaggerty arrives. The deputy and about six employees chase him before the deputy slams him to the ground and restrains him where uh, with his body weight. After being removed from the facility, the sheriff's office said the rescue checked on Kathy after fire and rescue checked on Kathy after three minutes and he did not stop breathing until after he was placed in the back of the patrol vehicle. That's according to their report. He also, he also had a large bloody gash on his temple. The officers and fire rescue, they tried to resuscitate him, but he never recovered, okay? Let's put up the leadership here, all right? You got the county sheriff, Eric Higgins. You also have the prosecutor, the attorney, Larry Jiggly. The officers involved were initially placed on administrative leave, but have returned to their post. Larry, the county prosecutor, announced on September 16th that none of the officers were criminally culpable in Kathy's death, and none of them will be charged. Right? So we are covering this story because there are a lot of questions still looming. Number one, where's the footage? Why was the footage edited? Two, who, who will be held accountable for the lie that was told that this was about sickle cell? And three, obviously he's pleading for help and was not granted it. Once he was in the custody of those officers or that deputy, the rules are different. Ben, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, really at the end of the day, look, police officers say this all the time. And I honestly think that any police officer that says this should be immediately fired. When police officers say, if you're talking, you're breathing, that is literally not true. That is literally not true. Like there are plenty of instances where people have been able to make noises out of their mouth and are still suffocating to death. So just to be very, very clear, that is something that happens with great regularity. Police officers say that so that they have an excuse. They're doing preemptive cover for themselves to say, oh, I didn't know I was killing this person. I didn't know I was killing this person. And like that is just one perfect example of how like terrible our law enforcement system is fundamentally in the United States, where there's so much blatant disregard for human life. Always a pleasure having you on the show. Tell people how they can follow you and check out your great work. Yeah, you can check out my show Galaxy Brain on the Young Turks Twitch channel every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. You can also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin Carollo and check out my videos on Rebel Headquarters. Always a pleasure, my friend, until next time. All right, Bullpit is next, stick and stay. All right, welcome. We have a different type of bullpen, all right, so let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. Today starts a new trial for, as of this morning, two cops who were charged in the death of George Floyd. However, one cop decided today to take a plea deal. We're gonna get into that in a moment. Let me remind you of the horrific actions of the police during that time. My face is gold. Uh, 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 please, please let me stand. Please, my Such an egregious and evil deed that garnered the attention of the world. It was a response. There was a person reporting on the ground. I have her on the show, Crystal Bowie, Emmy nominated, award winning journalist, Edward R. Murrow Award for the coverage of the George Floyd murder. Crystal, thank you for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you so Institute. much for having me. I appreciate it. This is very special. Let's talk about the book that you are that you have written and 
the insights that you have related to the coverage of this particular case. Before I do that, let me put up the two officers who were set to start trial today. Jury, uh, jury selection was slated to begin today for both of them. One of them, as of a few hours ago, decided to take a plea deal. Now remember, they have been convicted federally. They've already been convicted federally. These are state charges that they're facing. Crystal, give us some insight and background to what happened today and these two officers. Sure, so the three remaining officers after Derek Chauvin was found guilty of murdering George Floyd. The white officer that you saw, he actually was the first officer to take the plea deal. That was Thomas Lane. He took the plea deal, got in exchange for the plea deal three years in prison. What was expected was two years in prison, probably one out on parole. So that left the other two officers. One is Jay Alexander King, he's the one you see on the far right. He is a biracial officer, his mom is white, his dad is said to be from Nigeria. So biracial officer, the one you see on the left, that is Tutau, Hmong American, Asian American. He's the one that was guarding the scene you saw walking back and forth on the footage there. So Jay Alexander King, the biracial officer, has now taken a plea deal the day jury selection was happening. And he admitted to guilt, um, I guess last minute, he decided to own up to it. Uh, meanwhile, Tutau has said that he is going to now surrender the jury part of the trial and just put his hands in the judge to decide whether or not he's guilty. You have a book called More to Tell. Uh, and I gotta tell you, I was able to read the advanced copy of this book. That's why I have you on the show. It is compelling, it is nuanced, it is amazing for those who are watching. Um, you can pre-order the book at more2tailbook.com. I would like to explore a few concepts that may not be clear for the record. I remember when the narrative came out that George Floyd actually worked as a security guard with Derek Chauvin, the man, one of the men who killed him. How mm -hmm. true was that based on the confirmation of local reporting and your reporting in that region? Our investigative unit was able to confirm that. So George Floyd and Derek Chauvin had various stints as security guards. So George Floyd actually moved to Minneapolis starting a new life. He worked at the Salvation Army as a security guard. He worked at various restaurants. At one of the nightclubs, both he and Derek Chauvin, the man that's been convicted for murder, the man you saw kneeling on him, they were at the same nightclub likely at the same shifts at the same time. However, their boss said one of them was usually indoors, one of them was outdoors. She wasn't sure if Derek Chauvin actually ever crossed paths with George Floyd, but being that they worked at the same establishment, still a possibility. So the irony is both of them worked at the same establishment at the same time, virtually the same type of job in security. Um, and it's possible they ran into each other. There's just not confirmation on the record that they did. Let me ask you about this as well, uh, because you interviewed another employer of mm -hmm. George Floyd. Tell us about that interview and what was the sentiment of the uh, former boss of George Floyd? Right, so George Floyd's boss, it was the first night after we found out when we saw the video was leaked, right? So the newsroom was chaos. We were like, we have to find someone who knows who this person was that can give us context for the man who was killed. So I went over, I had an exclusive interview with George Floyd's boss. And what he told me right away without me really having to press him was George Floyd was not only an employee, he was a friend. And his boss had said he understood that George Floyd had a difficult past. And his boss even told me, don't we all? But it didn't mean that he didn't deserve a chance to start a new life, to be a good employee as a security guard at this establishment for over a year and a half. And I could tell when his boss went on camera, he wasn't doing it because he wanted good PR for George Floyd. I knew that he really wanted people to remember George Floyd as a caring person, as a person he told me would sometimes even drive home intoxicated patrons just to make sure they got home okay. And that's beyond the scope of being a bouncer, but he still went out of his way to do it. That's who George Floyd was to his boss. Let's talk about one of the officers first in particular, the mixed race male 
whose father is from Nigeria, I believe. Uh, and there's an interesting connection between activism and that family and why he went into law enforcement in the first place. Um, I remember a video that surfaced of him being in, I think, a Walmart. And he was approached by some members of the community who basically said, shame on you. Shame on you for allowing that to happen, for aiding and abetting. Tell us about his family and the reason he joined law enforcement. Yeah, so this is probably most of the officers, they had very interesting, complicated histories, right? Including Tutau. But with Jay Alexander King, his sister went on a Facebook Live after what happened, once she learned that was her brother in the video. And she talked about how she was, quote, brutalized by deputies almost a year before this incident happened, and that that had inspired her brother, Jay Alexander King, to join the police force. Jay Alexander King had apparently told his family he wanted to get onto the Minneapolis Police Department to do good from the inside. But Jay Alexander King's family had dealt with cops before. They weren't happy about it. They were on the forefront of the Black Lives Matter movement, and they told him they did not want him to join. So lo and behold, the guy that wants to become a police officer to make a difference is now the guy that is pressing George Floyd down on his back. And the irony of it, Crystal, he could have made a difference. He could have made his own prophecy come true. He could have intervened, he could have done something, and he could have made his parents proud. He would have made his sister proud. He would have done exactly what he said he was going to do when he became a police officer, but something happened. I believe his sentiment was probably pure at first, but he allowed them, in my opinion, to change fundamentally who he was on the inside. And that's the problem with culture. Culture of a police department has a way, has a way of reshaping, especially individuals who are already weak and cowardly. Let's talk about Tao, who who had on record um, an excessive force complaint, so much so that the city literally had to already pay money in order to settle what he did against the citizen. Tell us about that. So this was like years prior to this incident where you saw Tutau with George Floyd on that video. He was accused of such excessive force that it turned into a lawsuit. The payout for that lawsuit was $25,000 to this family showing just how excessive that amount of force was. But the Minneapolis Police Union is so strong. They are able to protect any cop and apparently one that has a record of excessive force amounting to $25,000 to still stay. And so when you think about what could have been prevented, Dr. Ritchie, as you just mentioned, we could have had anyone intervene during that nine minutes and 29 seconds, or some of these cops shouldn't have been police officers. And had the system been correct, had we taken a look at that $25,000 settlement and went, maybe this guy shouldn't be around citizens in the public, there's possible there would be fewer George Floyds in the world if we actually paid attention to who was doing their job right and taking away people who shouldn't be protected. We only have a couple of minutes. I want to dig into this quickly. The news agency you worked for during this time, you were a frontline reporter. Roughly 35 on air talent existed with this news agency. How many black people or minorities were part of the on air talent for that agency? Yeah, so this is really difficult for me to talk about because it's really painful thinking back to it. But of the 35 or so people on TV that you saw, there was only one Asian reporter, me, and one black reporter that you saw on local television in Minneapolis, and it was a female black reporter. Meaning the entire time that we were trying to cover this massive social justice movement to do justice for George Floyd, we did not have a single male reporter who's black in the building. Wow, all right, Um, there are so many additional nuances and gems that you are able to talk about in your book. I know it took a lot of courage in order for you to be this transparent, to be this direct. And when I received a copy of this book, I said, we gotta do something. We gotta talk about it. I gotta let my viewers know. Everybody needs to have this book because it not only deals with the issues of racism at the government level or in policing, it also talks about racism inside of the newsroom. Systemic Mm -hmm. bias that exists and permeates in the culture beyond government and how you had to face and deal with it. And also overcome some of the challenges and barriers 
that were presented to you. So I encourage everybody you can go to more2tailbook.com. That's more2tailbook.com. Pre-orders are available. And I also think there's a discount code for the viewers of the program. What was that discount code, Crystal? That is just as a thank you to your viewers. I know that they are very active citizens. They want to make a difference in the world. They are paying attention to the news. This book is written for them to be able to get all sides of the story and to really understand the type of sexism and racism I saw behind the scenes that we never aired on television. So for your viewers specifically only, I'm providing the discount if they type in your last name. Richie into the discount at checkout, they'll be able to get that. And they get first dibs on the pre-orders. So once it hits the market, they'll get the books first. Beautiful work, I appreciate all that you do and all you stand for. We need more like you, thank you, Crystal. Thank you, Dr. Richie. All right, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.